Good afternoon and welcome to everybody who's joining us here on Twitter Spaces with my guests, Justin Thomas, who's the Standard Banks, who's with Standard Banks Fleet Management, and uh, Koshik Karan, who is CEO Banker X. We know him on social media as Don Petty Cash. Pleasure to have you two gentlemen. And we are talking petrol hikes. One wonders why would anybody out of the blue just talk petrol hikes? Well, anyone who knows something about what's going on in the economy and is directly affected by it is struggling due to the rising petrol prices. These are caused by factors out of our control, and they lead to unprecedented inflation. We cannot control it, but we can talk about what you can do to weather this economic storm. And how can we as ordinary people stretch our bucks to overcome rising prices and get through the month? Can proper budgeting help? And are there any tricks that can help us uh, improve or make life a bit more affordable? Well, tune in, find out, and we will be taking questions from you. Please think them through. And there's some you can post, post on Twitter using the hashtag FinanceFitSA. And... Uh, my guests, as I've already indicated, Justin Thomas and Koshik Karan. Gentlemen, welcome. Koshik, let me start with you right away. What actually makes up the petrol price? Thank you for having me, Tim. Great conversation to have on a Wednesday afternoon. It's actually a Tuesday afternoon. This is what happens when you have... Uh, the petrol price in your mind. And a lot of people are going to be sitting in traffic right now, yeah. wondering and looking at that little fuel gauge, thinking, can I put my car in neutral? Maybe I can roll a little bit. You know, how can I save a little bit of cash? But you ask a good question, Tim. What actually makes up the petrol price? Right? Here's a quick description. Take the price of unleaded 93. It's up 42% from a year ago and up more than 65% since the beginning of last year. Now, here's the interesting part. The basic fuel price only makes up about half the total cost that you pay at the pump. Half. The rest, taxes, levies, retail, wholesale margin, storage, distribution cost. So the pure basic fuel is just half. Now, if you take the tax and levies component out, Tim, you get over a third of the entire petrol price is taxes and levies. But you're going to ask me, what's actually in there? What's in those levies? You can break the levies up into two big components. And the one is the general fuel levy and the other is the road accident fund. RAF, as many of us know it. And this is where it gets a little bit depressing. If you look at the RAF levy since 2008, it's up over 400%. And interestingly, the fuel levy brings in more revenue for the government than taxes on cigarettes, tobacco, and even customs duties. And the bottom line is to this all results in an already squeezed consumer getting squeezed even harder. Well, I understand that. But what is it that um, keeps the petrol to 
continue to rise in this in this fashion, not only in the South African context, but at least in the global context. Are there any other drivers that we should be paying attention to? A hundred percent. You know, when we look at the petrol price, sometimes it does feel like a uniquely South African problem. And perhaps we'll get into where that is the case. But you bang on, Tim. There are so many other drivers outside of taxes and levies and everything that we see. So what actually drives the fuel price from a global macroeconomic perspective? There's two huge drivers here. One's the exchange rate and one is the oil price. Right? Why? Because oil is priced in dollars and we are paying for petrol in rands. So that's where the exchange rate comes into play. But oil is priced in dollars and let's look at the determinants behind the actual oil price itself. So, the oil price across the last year, term is up 80%. That's a lot. Mm, right? Mm, mm. And, and it's incredible because two years ago, oil prices turned negative. Granted, for just a brief moment in time. But it's gone from negative prices to $122 a barrel. The rand has weakened 16% across the last year. Now, this is a tricky concept for many people, and even I get confused at times. What do you mean when a rand is strengthening or a rand is weakening? But it basically means for every rand, you can buy less dollars. Right? So if you're going overseas last year, and you go overseas this year, it means you can buy 16% less with the same amount of rands that you had in your bag with your wallet, mm, right? Mm. So if we put it together and we put the pieces together to a high oil price and a weak rand, a weak currency, that's the worst place to be. The absolute worst place to be. And that's pretty much where we found ourselves right now. Now, naturally, demand and supply drivers play a massive role here, right? So let, let's break it up. You've got demand and supply. Economics, 101, basic stuff. Let's talk about the supply side. We know that post-COVID, we've seen ships stuck in the port. Logistics crisis. If you're on the broadcast right now, you're probably thinking, hey, KK, I remember ordering something online and it took four extra weeks to get to me. That's because of the global logistics crisis. And that's played a big role in placing this upward pressure on energy prices, on fuel prices, are getting oil to the places it needs to get. Now, you have OPEC, and OPEC is the abbreviation for the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries. And OPEC's gen is basically a cartel, right? You've got 13 countries, they account for 40% of total global production, and they're the guys who decide essentially supply on the supply side. And they've come out today and said, hey, look, Guys, we think there's going to be a slowdown in demand in 2023, next year, because fuel prices have surged. We've got high inflation. The global economy is going to cool off. We actually don't think we're going to be pumping out that much oil. So in short, your cheat sheet on what drives the oil price, exchange rates, supply side dynamics, demand for oil, and naturally, geopolitics 
the world is at war. The oil price comes into play. And we're coming off the back of COVID where the economy is starting to heat up again. And we've got a crisis in Europe. And all of that goes into this big stew. And it just makes it more expensive for us at the pubs. Definitely. And that is more from the motorists' perspective. But there is a sort of flow through of this inflation that we refer to, you know, food prices going up and other things going up that we, we, we depend on that we've got to buy. So it's not only at the fuel pump where we feel the effects of this uh, petrol price increase. Tell me more about that. 100%, Tim. Look, here's the thing. Whenever the fuel price goes up, it has a multiplier effect on the economy. What does it mean? It means everything becomes more expensive. Everyone on the broadcast right now is probably shaking their head in agreement thinking, yes, food has become so much more expensive. It's become so much more pricey for me to fill the same basket of goods that I had before today. And that's the impact of inflation and fuel price driving inflation. So everything that's transported by logistics, road, it's gone up. Worse, the cost of public transport's gone up. You probably also noticed that Uber drivers right now are struggling. And inevitably, if the cost of transport goes up, the cost of you being a passenger goes up, the cost of delivering food goes up, the cost of you consuming that food goes up. So, you know, the fuel price increase is never really isolated to fuel prices alone. It has a trigger effect that cascades through the entire economy that makes almost every single thing we touch more expensive. And that is in as far as consumers are concerned. But of course, in a situation like this, even businesses get affected, and uh, but they experience the problem slightly differently, I'd like to believe, uh, Justin Thomas. Please talk to me about what you see happening in the business space, and then we'll move to the next issue of fleet management. Good afternoon, Tim. Good afternoon, Koshik. Uh, and good afternoon to the tourist space listeners. Um, yeah, thanks for that, Tim. Um, you know, just in terms of, I suppose, uh, what Koshik just mentioned is, is almost the perfect storm. Um, you know, particularly for small businesses, uh, not just small business, I think every business today is suffering from, um, you know, the, the, the increased cost in, in, in fuel prices and, you know, just the, the cost of doing business. Um, footprint when it comes to their vehicle fleets. But, uh, you know, if you, if you look at the the overall cost or operating cost of, of a vehicle fleet in a small business, it's not small. Uh, that's anywhere between 10 and 20% of, of, of total operating cost. Um, so the impact is, is, is quite significant. Um, and, and, you know, when we look at our book today, we, we're starting to see the strain. Um, you, you're starting to see businesses, small businesses, particularly as well as transporters, um, you know, not being able to make payment on 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 their fuel, uh, uh, on their fuel facilities. So it, it's, yeah, it, it, it's definitely uh, got significant impact. Um, 
and and hopefully we can later in the show just show how uh, how they can access some um, solutions that uh, can save yeah. some money. Well, I just want to rush to this point. Well, let me not say I'm rushing, but I would like a further yes. explanation of what fleet management is all about. A quick overview. Okay, so I mean it. It's basically just it's an efficiency discipline, and it's made up of a very broad collection of services and solutions. I think uh, people would typically think of telematics devices. You know, the first thing that comes to mind when you think about uh, fleet management, but it's a lot broader than that. I mean, you've got uh, uh, banking institutions, insurance institutions, uh, telematics companies uh, providing solutions within the fleet management discipline. And uh, the overarching principle is that, you know, essentially fleet management is there to create greater visibility over your drivers, your vehicles, and then your related fleet costs. And, and, and by virtue of that visibility, that should allow you to positively influence them. So, so that, that's a high level on, on fleet management. And can fleet management help businesses save money? Absolutely. <laughs> With a capital A, by the way. Um, and, and there's a number of ways in which we do that. Um, and I'm going to take you through a couple of examples. Uh, the obvious point of departure, as I pointed out, is, you know, once you've provided that visibility of your fleet cost, <coughs> if you look at a typical business fleet, <coughs> if you don't at the very minimum have a telematics device or fleet card, you, you really have very little ability to know if your vehicles are being driven well, um, you know, whether there's harsh braking, which could incur a, a you know, a, a more frequent brake replacement, uh, speeding, reckless driving. And if you have no fleet card and you're paying using cash or local garage counts, well, I can tell you now, uh, you know, there's a strong likelihood that um, from a fuel consumption perspective, you, you're probably paying more. Um, you know, and this could be due to fuel fraud, siphoning. Uh, you know, you, you, you've given the guy a thousand rand for, for fuel and they pocket 900 bucks. Um, these things happen. Uh, and they happen often. So local garage cards, cash, they're really not the most optimal way to, to manage your fleet or to facilitate payment on your fleet. Um, and that's where fleet cards come in. You know, they, they, they provide immense value to small and large companies. Um, they're issued with the vehicle details on them. So, so they actually track the, the, the optimization and the productivity on that particular asset. Um, and I mean, they, they provide exceptionally, uh, exceptional alerts um, that notify you when irregular refueling takes place. Um, I mean, we have examples where, uh, you know, a company might say, I, I don't want my salesperson filling up at 3 a.m. That's going to be suspicious. Um, and I mean, it, it, it usually is. We know what happens at 3 a.m. in the morning. Most accidents typically take place. Or a salesperson passing Moy River Tollgate in a company car at the start of a weekend. You know, uh, uh, you might want to curb those type of events. You might not have sight of it, but you want to curb them because those are costing your business money. And then we also provide, I think, the other important aspect of, of the, the benefits and savings that a fleet management solution provides is just useful insights for companies to know and ensure that vehicles are used in a manner that they deem appropriate. Um, you know, that could be... Um, uh, through a managed maintenance service, uh, you know, we, we provide a concept we call medical aid for fleets, 
Um, and this provides businesses the opportunity to outsource their maintenance to qualified mechanics. I mean, we've had issues where vehicles have gone in for a brake pad replacement um, and we get a quote back and, um, you know, it, it's, it's a two-hour labor rate and they're charging the customer, you know, two and a half grand. Um, that's where you need, you know, the expertise to go back to that cut, to that, to that service or, or forecourt repair and say, guys, that, that's not acceptable. Um, but unfortunately, the vast majority of, of businesses and I suppose consumers don't have that underlying foundation to question those, um, you know, those costs. Um, and that's where outsourcing your, your, your business fleet to uh, your, or especially your maintenance and repairs to um, a managed maintenance service can, can really be helpful. And then, um, you know, what, uh, another uh, savings and uh, opportunity and, and one that we, we push quite significantly, especially with, um, you know, fuel being such an issue, is our diesel rebate programs. Um, you know, so the op- getting uh, or, uh, up to 120, 160 off of pump price can be quite significant uh, for a company. And, and we facilitate that through a number of oil companies, the likes of Shell, the likes of, of, of BP Masana, um, you know, contribute towards um, our customers saving on, on, on their diesel fuel. In fact, uh, this year, we likely hit about 220 million rand in annual savings back to, uh, back to businesses on these programs. That, that's cash back. Eh? That's not a reward. That's not, um, you know, uh, digital money. That's actually cash back on the, on the balance sheet. Mm. That's just some of the, 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 the ways we helped them. All right. Well, I'm sure there are many business people listening to um, this conversation and uh, do have questions or opinions to share with us. Please, on Twitter, use this hashtag, hashtag FinanceFitSA, FinanceFitSA. And then you can ask uh, questions from there or indicate if you want to participate in this conversation. I'm talking to Justin Thomas of Standard Bank and Koshik Karan, who is the CEO of Banker X. Uh, Koshik, I'm coming back to you. We, we understand we hear in the situation of um, maybe bigger companies that may have several vehicles and so on that need to use fuel. But what about individuals then? Is there another way of thinking about how to buy your, a vehicle? You know, how to go about budgeting or do you downscale or do you buy a cheaper car? What do you do in this, in this situation? So... Great question, Tim. And, you know, step one is to sell your car and walk everywhere. I think it's it helps everyone, and th- that, that's a joke. Uh, so I don't get kicked off the. Standard <laughs> hey. I, I like how you just took it in your stride, though. You're like, hey, the finance bro says sell your cars, so let's sell our cars, right? Um, Gosh, it's but, become an option, by the way. <laughs> I, listen, I, I don't want to. I, I, I want to laugh at it. You know, when, when jokes are too close to home, then, well, I, actually, it is too close to home. I look at my fuel economy and, you know, probably because I have a heavy right foot, it's, it's going to make me bankrupt even before my terrible stock portfolio. But, look, here's the thing. Tim. Yeah. Again, I, I alluded to it earlier, right? And we think petrol prices and fuel hikes are a South African problem. And, and in, in many ways, it is because of the large taxes and the high inequality and the number of people that are unemployed in the country. 
But it's also interesting to draw a parallel to other countries, right? And, and you look at the UK, 46% of the price of fuel is wrapped in taxes. In the US, the price of gas has doubled over the last year. So macro conditions, and you know, some of them, are things we can't escape. But there are things we can do as consumers, right? And you would have seen some really bad advice floating around. Now that the stock market's getting hammered, people are losing cash on crypto, oil prices are going through the roof, inflation is going through the ceiling, it's not transitory anymore. And many personal finance enthusiasts are going out and saying, hey guys, be frugal, downscale, budget, buy a different car, sell your car, hitch a ride with your neighbor, stand at the robot and hitchhike. I mean, listen, Here's the thing. You can't save money you don't have, right? If you don't have cash, you can't save cash. I just want to put that out there. Mm. Now, being frugal has, is great in the short term, but it's got a long-run limitation because you can't only save until you get to zero, right? And then what? So when you think of these plans and these solutions, they've got to have longevity, right? And, and here's a couple of things you can do. Number one, numero uno on my list here is working from home. And now I know this is a, a hot topic and it's getting fiery debate on social media because you have mediocre line managers who want you to come back to the office and have some face time so they have this illusion of control when you work more productive at home. The average South African spends a lot of time commuting. In many cases, more than one taxi to work. Like you take that two hours, three hours. That's a lot of time they spent on the road. There's a lot of time, a lot of cost incurred. So if you have the privilege and the luxury, because working from home is a privilege and working from home is a luxury. Firstly, not many jobs are suited to it. But secondly, not many people have the, the working space to do their jobs at home. If you can really fight hard for that flexible time man push go to your line manager and say hey do you want to see me five days a week do you want to see me two days a week next fuel and loyalty cards justin can pick up on this he already alluded to it claim those loyalty points go out and fill those fuel cards if you can again if you get a fuel allowance from your company claim it back keep your receipts if it's a business trip and you're out there and you're driving couple of hundred kilometers a week, go back to your company and say, hey, guys, I'm on the road. This was a work trip. It wasn't me going out with the boys to have a braai. It was me going out to see clients. But can you reimburse me? And that's also important when it comes to claiming back your tax, right? Mm. Your travel allowances. Very important, underrated. Um, you know, some people in the developed world would say, oh, public transport's easy, right? And here's the thing, you live in South Africa. In many cases, that's not an option. The rail infrastructure isn't where it needs to be. Public transport, in many instances, is unreliable and oftentimes unsafe. So it would be disingenuous for me to come onto the platform and say, guys, let's all get into public transport because guess what? That's not an answer. It's not an answer. It's It's may seem like it's an answer, but South Africa doesn't have the infrastructure and, and uh, ability for it to be a solution.
It's not really dependable. Look, another solution you may see, and someone tagged me on it, is, hey, why don't we get self-driving cars then? You know, why don't we just go green and you don't have to be plugged into the oil price? Here's the thing. Great solution. I love it. Love the environment. But, I mean, Tim, Thursday night, I have load shedding. Where do I plug my car in? <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> you know what, what I mean? Maybe. I mean, go solar. Wait. Go solar. Maybe you have go solar. solar. <laughs> Listen, I'm going solar. But solar <laughs> now means my legs. Like I'm a walking person, I'm a passenger, I'm not longer a passenger, I'm a pedestrian, right? So yeah. listen, it's easy, and I get that. We've got to get to a point where we reduce our carbon emissions and we stop harming the environment and, you know, we can all drink out of paper straws to, but bottom line is, we need the infrastructure to get there. We don't have the electricity. Ride pooling, that's also an option, car locking. But here's it, ultimately, the best way to guard against fuel price inflation is to actually plan ahead and build hedge Why? The situation is not going to get better. So when you're planning and you're planning for the month and you're writing down all of your expenses, build in the hedge that the fuel price is going to go up by another three rand, by another four rand, worse than another five rand. Build it in and actually work your numbers on the worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. That's the best advice I can give you. Sure. Well, you said something, and uh, I think, Justin, you uh, please can comment on that. The loyalty cards, you know, um, if you want to make an additional comment in, in that regard, please do. And I also want you to comment on the mistakes that many people make when buying vehicles. Justin? Okay, cool. Thanks, Tim. Um, I think just on loyalty cards, uh, I mean, you well, loyalty solutions... I think most of the, the major banks provide some sort of uh, loyalty reward when it comes to uh, fuel. Um, I know Standard Bank's U count is up to five rand at uh, at Caltech service stations. Yeah, you know, they do require uh, a measure of, of knowing how to hack the system and, and you know and, and having the right products, but. I think with the prevailing conditions, it's, it's actually one of those things that you, you really want to get your head around and say, well, you know, how, how do I actually benefit from this five rand? And if not at the top tier of, of, of the five rand loyalty, you know, can I benefit with uh, four rand and three rand? So, so those opportunities are there for, for, for consumers. Um, they're not necessarily there for, for, for business. Um, you know, loyalty programs have typically struggled when it, comes to um, providing providing loyalty offerings uh, in, in, in a business space. But um, I suppose just try and use those loyalty benefits. Um, go to your bank, find out what, what um, products you need to have and, and, and just try and maximize your opportunity to get the benefit of uh, reward points back. Um, that, they, they can be quite helpful. And then you ask another question around uh, the mistakes uh, many people make when buying vehicles. I, I think, um, you know, <laughs> with my own vehicles, uh, purchasing vehicles are, are an emotional purchase for consumers. So um, I suppose one of the key things you're going to need to do is, is, is take away the emotion uh, when it comes to purchasing a vehicle. You know, we all want the, the fast car, the, the good-looking good car. Uh, it may not always be practical, especially with your budget. 
Um, and, you know, I think banks typically have a, a threshold of about 30% of your, of your income. Um, the, the trick is not to maximize it to 30%. Um, and I think for most people, that does mean that um, you, you kind of need to look at the, you know, low to mid-end type of vehicle. And, and they generally, you know, very fuel efficient. Um, you know, you get good mileage out of them. Um, and, and, and generally repairs and maintenance are, 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 are pretty cheap uh, comparatively. So, so always a good thing. Take the emotion out of your purchase and, and try and think um, with, with some pragmatism. Uh, when it comes to our businesses, I mean, that, that's a different space. I think uh, businesses are pragmatic in their choice of vehicles. And, you know, they would generally focus on a fit-for-purpose application. So if you are a plumber, you're most likely going to look for a bucky uh, or some sort of uh, utility vehicle that's going to, um, you know, assist in 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 in, in that particular uh, business job business role. Um, however, and I think a lot of businesses don't know this, but there are opportunities to improve the vehicle purchase for businesses, um, and a, a fleet management company can help with that. Um, so you know. The, the, uh, because of the ability to aggregate information and because they've got all these vehicles on their, on their base, they're using data a lot smarter. So in, in many cases, you know, if, if you've got a reputable uh, fleet management company that's, uh, that you're using, uh, they're going to be able to tell you which uh, vehicles perform better in certain conditions and uh, which have a better overall productivity measure dependent on the industry you're in. You know, so whether you're in security services, you might find that uh, a particular vehicle uh, that's within your, uh, within your fleet is not as optimal as the uh, you know, uh, vehicle B in your fleet. And um, a, a fleet management program can, or fleet management business can definitely highlight those, uh, those nuances. And that will inform your future uh, you know, repurchasing cycle. Um, and, and obviously, because of that, you then get the benefit of the, the, the lessons learned in that. So um, definitely an opportunity for both consumers and businesses. Uh, but from a fleet management perspective, you know, I, I, I definitely uh, say uh, speak to your fleet manager and, and, or fleet management company and, and, and start asking them about, you know, which vehicles would be best fit for the particular conditions that you're operating in from an industry. Yep. So, Tim, can I copy on that? Yes, please. Mistakes people make. We will buy vehicles. Right. Off the bat, up front, social media is killing our people. (laughs) It really is, man. I mean, you see guys posing in an M4, a new GTI, and you're thinking, my goodness, I want that. Let me get that car. Mm. All of a sudden, you go out there, you take the vehicle. You never thought about the true cost of ownership. You never thought about how you finance this car. And, and let alone fuel, levies, tires, maintenance, and log list. Let's talk about structuring, right? If you go to a dealership and they tell you you can afford, you qualify to drive an M4, and you just got your first paycheck, you sitting there and you're like, yes, I'm going to post this all over my Instagram stories. I'm, I'm going out on the weekend. I'm going to drive even though I don't need to drive. But Tim, qualifying doesn't mean affordability. Mm. Right, mm. you can't qualify for credit. It doesn't mean you can afford it, and it's a trap that I see people make so often, where you get into a badly structured vehicle finance situation, 
and five years down the line, you're on the hook for half a million bucks. Why? Because you have a residual or balloon payment and you can't settle it. The value of the car is lower than the amount you need to settle in the financing. Mm. So the biggest mistake, biggest mistakes people make with buying vehicles, they prioritize prestige over utility, right? They don't prioritize convenience. Instead, they choose comfort. So if you're in a space that you are prioritizing prestige over utility, comfort over convenience, you're going to get tied up very quickly because guess what, Tim? The fuel price isn't the only thing that's increasing. We're in a rising interest rate environment, which means every single loan and every single obligation that's interest-bearing that you take out becomes more and more expensive with time. And if you add inflation, high interest rates, higher fuel prices, you don't have a car anymore. You literally have a black hole of cash. Mm, mm, mm. No, it's a, it's a fair point. I mean, I, I understand uh, completely what, what, what you mean there, Koshik. Um, the, but overall, I mean, I want to hear your own views, Koshik, as well as Justin. What can we do? I mean, what can consumers do to manage this rising inflationary environment? Obviously, fueled by the increase in petrol prices. Petrol prices. I'll take that one, Tim. I'll start. Um, you know, if, if I, I just want to take you guys through what we've just unpacked, uh, the scale and the magnitude of the problem. Uh, we looked at our Standard Bank uh, fleet card transaction data. Uh, we looked at a couple of fleet users, the, the average typical fleet user. And they paid on average, uh, I think uh, Koshik pointed out, uh, average price about 14 ramp per liter of diesel in January 2021. Um, this would have cost them about 3,360 to fill up a 60-liter tank four times in a month. That's the typical uh, business consumer as well. 18 months later, the price is sitting at 24 rand a liter. That fleet, that business, would have had to cough up over 70% more, 5,760 rand, for the same amount of fuel. And, you know, you're talking about businesses, so when you extrapolate that cost over 12 months, that's an extra 28,800 rand a year. That's, that's significant. That's huge. Um, so, so, I mean, I, I don't think, I, I don't know if there's, um, there's a lot of small things that, that are going to help in terms of, um, you know, that, that particular number. Uh, I don't think there's one silver bullet, but, um, and, and, and just some of the things that, 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 that we, we would recommend is make sure you have, you know, especially in a business context, make sure you have a fleet card in a telematics unit as a minimum. We always think of the uh, telematics unit as the Apple Watch for, for vehicles. So if you have an Apple Watch or a Samsung Watch, I mean, you, you can typically track uh, uh, your, you know, your health, um, just your general well-being and uh, your heart rate and stuff like that. Very similar to a particular vehicle. You can pick up overspeeding. Uh, you can pick up, you know, harsh braking events. And those are the type of things that you want to address with your drivers and, and, and people making use of your vehicles. Um, if you have a diesel vehicle, please make sure you're part of a diesel rebate program. Um, you know, you, you can get so much money back 
just from participating and being a part of it. Um, and like I said, I mean, we, we, we've saved, uh, we, we close on just over 200 million in savings uh, through our diesel rebate programs uh, to customers. And then we've got, you know, if you've got a petrol vehicle, you might ask how, how, how you're going to save in that particular space. Um, you know, there, there's, uh, I think, uh, Scatterbank has just recently launched their Visa fleet card. That's about 70% cheaper than any industry fleet card today in terms of transaction fees and admin fees. And those are going to be significant savings when you, like I said, extrapolate that over your fleet and extrapolate that over 12 months. Um, I would seriously, you know, consider outsourcing your vehicle maintenance and repair authorization to a managed maintenance program, especially if your understanding of vehicle maintenance pricing and labor rates is limited. Um, you know, there's, there's definitely an opportunity for that to, to, to take on that outsourcing and get the benefit of, of qualified mechanics looking at your invoices and determining whether you're being ripped off or not. But also getting the benefit of, you know, aggregated pricing um, from, from, from a fleet management company. Um, I think the obvious one is, you know, and I suppose in, in, in times of strife, we, we, we tend to, um, you know, not look at our uh, repair and maintenance of, of, of the things around us. But, uh, you know, that's going to cost you. Make sure your vehicles are serviced on time and looked after. Um, a, a poorly maintained vehicle can dramatically increase your fuel usage. Um, so, so make sure you've got that covered. Um, and then, you know, just from a, a business fleet perspective, if you're in a fleet management environment already, you've got a fleet management solution, make sure you interrogate your fleet reports. Make sure you're actively changing, um, you know, situations based on the, on the data provided. You know, too often, um, you know, I've seen uh, customers that we, that we engage with, you know, they've got all this information at their disposal to, to really optimize and save themselves money. And they, they just don't, uh, you know, get at it. Um, you know, to quote the phrase, um, you know, you need to get to the mattresses. Uh, it's tough times. You know, you almost need to go to war on costs here. Um, and having that mindset in terms of, you know, wh where's an opportunity to save. And not looking at, uh, at, at staff first, eh? You know, and, and I think that's generally the easiest thing to do. Let's go and look at how we reduce staff costs. No, no, no. Keep your staff costs. There's opportunities for you to reduce on, on your fleet costs. Um, there's opportunities to look at your business um, and, and, and generally look at opportunities where you can save there. So, yeah, that, that's me, Tim. Yeah. All right. Thanks, uh, Justin. Now, if you want to be part of this conversation, um, you join us on the Twitter hashtag, hashtag uh, FinanceFitSA, FinanceFitSA. And if you have any questions or you have any insights that you'd like to share with us, or you want to be part of this conversation, please indicate so that we can uh, give you the opportunity to talk to us. Justin Thomas is with Standard Bank's Fleet Management. Koshik Karan, known on Twitter as Don Petty Cash, uh, is the CEO of Banker X, and we are talking about the petrol price hikes and the impact they have on our daily lives and the influence they have on the interest rates on inflation in fact one question um from lord jonta who wants to know how big the impact of this fuel hike is on interest rates if you can respond to that koshi so i feel like i'm back in university here and i'm writing an economics exam you know the guys are asking me these 
deeply theoretical questions, but it's, it's actually a good question, right? And if you look at the correlation between um, the fuel price and headline CPI, at least the percentage changes, it's almost a one-to-one -one relationship with headline CPI and CPI excluding fuel, which actually tells you that fuel is a massive driver of inflation in South Africa. And this is where it starts to get messy, right? You have this huge levy that's slapped onto the fuel price. The fuel price then manifests itself into inflation. That starts to overheat the economy. The Reserve Bank then decides to increase interest rates to curb inflation. Right? Can you see where I'm going with this? Mm. Right. So essentially, you can argue if you're smarter about the levies in the first place, you may not ever end up hiking rates, right? So it's steps, fuel price, inflation, interest rates. And, and, and that's the cycle. That's how it works. So, you know, to answer the question, the, the problem is that every step, there's a multiplier effect because the fuel price goes up. The cost of everything goes up. Why did the fuel price? Therefore, inflation goes up. And when inflation starts becoming rampant, and you know, I, I haven't answered your question about how we fight inflation, but we'll get to it. When inflation starts overheating, that's when you're going to have an interest rates conversation. And you know what happens? The answer, mm -hmm. the interest rate goes up. It costs you more to drive that car. But it's costing you more because it's, the fuel price has gone up. But it costs you more to maintain because of inflation. And all the parts are more expensive. Mm. So, you know, you're sitting in the spiral. And the moment the spiral gets triggered, it's impossible to just get any headroom. It's suffocating. It buries you. And... We live in an emerging market here. We, we don't live, you know, we're in a developing economy. These things happen so quickly that you can find yourself out of headroom and out of cash instantly, overnight. And if you don't plan for it, then, you know, you, you get, you, you're in a desperate situation. You end up borrowing at more and more expensive interest rates. And mm. again, it just fuels a cycle. So the interest rate inflation and energy cost cycle is it's brutal. All right, uh, let me go to some of the people attending this uh, Twitter space. And we're talking about the petrol price hikes and the impact they have on our daily lives. Use the hashtag FinanceFitSA to be part of this conversation. And Tapelo is one of the attendees who would like to talk to us. Tapelo? Uh, good afternoon, Antatemudise. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. And welcome, uh, Tapelo. Thank you so much. Um, mine is a, is a, um, a, a comment which is um, directed to, to, to Justin to actually commend him um, and the team from um, Standard Bank um, Fleet Management on the, the work that they have been doing to really be there for uh, uh, um, the customers and making sure that there are those solutions that they offer the, the customers to be able to um, uh, uh, make it. And the question that I want to ask him, and um, he, he, he uh, let me also make him aware that he's not, he's not, not going to be an answer for Standard Bank. I just need his personal opinion to say, as a fleet management um, company, does, does he not think that maybe 
we need to the, the, uh, they need to speak to the regulator because they are the ones that are sitting with customers that are suffering failing to pay due to a petrol price if they can speak to the regulator and see if um there can be some leeway there for the regulator to be there for also for customers thank you Tatemudise. all right uh, thanks very much Tapelo. justin would you like to comment justin uh, thank so, you, Tepelo. Yes. Uh, apologies. I had a, had a, a mute incident. Um, uh, just, Tepelo, thank you for that. I think, uh, you know, very appreciative. I think, uh, you know, just in terms of our overall ambition is obviously to help um, our, our business customers uh, and, you know, in terms of, of saving time, uh, saving money. Um, I think just to your, to your question, I think, you know, th- that's probably something that... Um, uh, personally, I, I think we, we, we're probably going to need to have those discussions um, in terms of, um, you know, just, just the strain that we're starting to see. And, and I know that the, if I look at the fleet payments industry, you know, th- they're already looking at potential ways in which um, maybe not fuel costs uh, are cheaper, but the, the, those ancillary costs around uh, admin costs, uh, transactional costs, um, how, how they can assist in that particular regard. And I know from a from a fleet payments industry, I think we're looking at. Um, so Sarabank was the was the first to go live with a Visa fleet card, and and, and like I said, you know, we, we typically uh, providing savings of about seventy percent on transaction and admin fees back to customers. But the, the industry is also going to move there. So, so the other banks are also following suit, um, and and we expect that to to potentially go live in in, in 2023, um, and 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 that's going to bring some relief. But you know, at, at this particular point, um, yeah, it, it, it's it's still mm. a long way coming. But but definitely opportunity for us to discuss it. It's definitely something we will take on and consider. Thank you, Tapelo. All right. Thanks, uh, Justin. Now, again, if you want to be part of this conversation, you have questions, insights that you would like to share with us, please request to speak and we will make sure that we accommodate you. Um, Indicate that you want to be part of the conversation and then we will draw you in and uh, hear your views. Antonio Bayes has also commented on this and he says um, more people could probably ride motorcycles to save on fuel. I mean, we see most of Asian countries, uh, people tend to use motorbikes more than more than motor vehicles. Uh, Kashik? Well, uh, look, that's a great point. And 100% is definitely a solution. Personally, I wouldn't. I mean, I, I would definitely wipe myself out on a, on a motorbike. I know that. I've done it before. So, look, I think a motorcycle is a great idea. It can work for some people. Um, but it's also a question of infrastructure, right? And Tim, I mean, if you've got a really treacherous road with potholes the size of craters that you find on Mars, do you really want to be riding a motorcycle on it, right? It all, it all comes down to the health and quality of the infrastructure. And, mm, mm. You know, I, I remember being in Dar es Salaam and there's a lot of uh, motorcycles around. And, you know, it was quite a substantial drive from you know the hotel i was at to the the factory i was working in 
for a while. And I promise you, Tim, at least three times a week, I would see some guy being fished out off the road because he crashed his motorcycle, right? Because of how poorly the roads are maintained. And, you know, it's something that I always think about that, you know, the infrastructure and the solution to our problems is is right there. And, and it's at the basic level. Mm. You know, if we fix the roads, if we fix public transport, if we fix service delivery, it makes it so much easier to overlap innovative solutions. And, you know, what's scary right now, uh, Tim, is there's an explosion of private companies in South Africa providing solutions to what actually should be problems solved by the you know the public sector the, the, and, you know the, the yeah. pub, public services really that that, that we yes. should be taking for granted at this time so a hundred percent yeah a hundred percent so now I, I saw discovery going out there and fixing potholes and thinking to myself hey guys you're a private company and you know even as much as i love the fact that you're helping the country i mean you know if everyone does the job they're supposed to then we will be in the situation i think similarly it comes to solutions around the fuel price Right, solutions around how do we manage inflation. And oftentimes it all gets back to the basics. It's the basic infrastructure, the basic delivery, and our basic ability to trust in you know the the services that we paid for. Because a big part of the fuel price is taxes. Right. And you know, you as a consumer, not just in a general sense and fuel, want to have the comfort that the taxes are going towards road maintenance and, mm. you know, what it's supposed to. And, you know, it's a slightly depressing thought, but, you know, if it isn't, and if tax revenue isn't allocated and distributed and allocated properly, you know, uh, we're going to have expensive fuel for a very long time and we're going to have, you know, uh, eroding infrastructure for a very long time. So, you know, I, I think the, when we solve that problem, I think we're going to solve a lot of other problems in the country. All right, let's um, talk to Katlejo, who's been holding for us. Katlejo? Hey, Brati, Mazit. All right, man, welcome. Welcome, Katlejo. Thanks for the opportunity. I've got two questions. Um, the first one, just short. The projection, so we, for example, the economists are able to project uh, what average exchange rate would be, for example, for a particular year. Is it difficult to do Sorry, can you repeat that? I, I missed parts of what you said. It's just, okay, my, my first question is just around the projection of petrol price. Yeah. So, for example, you know that economics can tell you that on average, for the next 12 months, we expect that the exchange rate is going to be this much. How difficult is it for us to do the same for petrol price? To sort of... And then... Yeah, to project, to project... And then, yeah. Yeah. The second question is just around the relief on consumers. So when the price starts to go down, how long would it generally take us to start see the the, the cost of uh, goods, especially food, going down in relation with the petrol price going down? Because I'm just afraid that even if the petrol could go down, because consumers are used to a particular um, price levels, Retailers would not necessarily drop their prices in line with a reduction in, in fuel pricing. Thanks. I think I'll stop there. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, Koshik, uh, comment? 
Yeah, I think that's a great question. And here's the thing. I mean, and, and the economists on the broadcast aren't going to like me, but I, I feel I have the right to say it, given that I, you know, I have degrees in economics. I, I think a lot of it is guesswork here. I mean, you know, you look at USD's R forecast and you look at projections and you look at oil price predictions. Here's the thing. We're living in such a volatile economy and it's such a fluid state that if anyone comes up to you, Tim, and says, I guarantee you 100% that the USD's R is going to be at this level on this date, I think run far away, right? That's a charlatan. But I think, you know, we're going from a place where two years ago you had negative oil price, and now you got $120 a barrel, right? It, it, that's how things changed. We're up 80% in a year. So, yes, you can predict things, but what you can't predict is the uncertainty. You can't, you can't predict how OPEC is going to behave. You can't predict geopolitics. You can't predict whether or not... Uh, you know, the government decides to just slap on a fat tax onto the petrol price. You can't predict what interest rates in, is, is going to do. You'd like to think so, and we keep getting surprised. But to answer the question, yes, you can, and you've got a ballpark. I've seen some analysts come out and say, guys, there's, you know, 25 bucks heading towards 30 bucks. Um, you know, there's a piece of analysis that was done by uh, one of the banks on the street and they said 20 bucks a liter is kind of the normalized amount. I've seen a research report go out uh, about a week ago that said we can see 40 rand a liter right? Mm. at the worst case scenario. Mm. Personally, I'll put my head on the block and I'll be like, I mean that's, the probability of that happening is, is it's low, right? It's very low. So Again, I would place, I would be very careful of placing heavy reliance into forecast numbers because A, many of the times it's wrong. B, we don't control that. But C, what we can control is how we adapt our budgets and our planning and our little sensitivity analysis that we run on our personal finances to make sure that even if it gets to 30 bucks a liter that, you know, we're not going to sell our cars and start walking to work. All right. Mongezi Mosombuka wants to know, and Justin, I think this is a question you should take, says, um, we outsource our fleet of vehicles. How can we reduce our fuel costs, although we do not own the assets? Uh, thanks, Tim. Uh, thanks for the question, Mongezi. Um, I suppose that the, the obvious uh, start, and I, I think I think alluded to it, is uh, even if you don't own the asset and you've outsourced it, uh, I'm hoping that your providers provided you with a telematics device um, as, as you know, a, a basis for that particular outsourcing. The the other thing I would uh, you would definitely need would be a fleet card, um, and depending on the application of your vehicle, whether it's petrol or diesel, I, you know, if it's diesel, I, I would. I definitely ask that you, you know, you get into a, a, a diesel rebate program. Um, hopefully provide if the, if your fleet manager hasn't provided you with one, um, you know, I, I think they're doing you, your business a disservice. Um, definitely, definitely look at that. Um, it's an opportunity to save. Uh, but, but, you know, the price is one aspect. It's also the control and management. So, so the op, you know, when you've got a telematics device and when you've got a, a fleet card, there's data that's available. 
And that data in itself, take away, like I said, just the, the price of fuel and, and the saving that you can accrue from a diesel rebate program. But just knowing that a particular vehicle uh, that's in your fleet, that even if it's outsourced or owned, um, you know, is, is using more fuel than similar vehicles in your fleet, that in itself is an opportunity for you to reduce costs. Um, and, and there's lots of opportunities like that. Uh, driver abuse. You know, you, you, you might be able to benchmark two particular drivers in the same vehicle in your particular fleet, and those get highlighted. And uh, you can take remedial action around those particular uh, issues, and that saves you money as well. So, so the, 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 the data analytics perspective that a fleet management company provides, that in itself, it, there's probably more value or, or more savings in, in um, you know, in, in, like I said, you know, just absorbing and, 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 and doing things uh, in response to that data than the actual fuel price. All right. That's, yeah, that's Koshik. Is that, is that you? Okay. Well, I wanted to uh, come back to you and say we have more or less analyzed what goes into the pricing of uh, fuel in the country and uh, what are the key drivers of these prices, not only in South Africa, but elsewhere in the world, as well as uh, try to learn as much as possible on how fleet management can assist in you maintaining reasonable amounts of money to look after your fleet as well as to provide for fuel in other words affordability and making sure that you sustain your business over time and of course koshik you you challenge uh, south african businesses to allow some of their employees to work from home that that would be a much more useful solution but as we conclude let me hear your views on what you think if there's anything that we can remember should remember from this conversation, what is it that uh, we should take away uh, from this conversation? Koshik, let me start with you. What do you, what do you think uh, the key lessons should be going forward? So you got to plan for the worst case scenario, right? You got to. You just got to plan for what if we end up in a situation where we're queuing outside the fueling station and, you know, we run out of fuel. And, you know, it's very, it's difficult to envisage what the worst case scenario is when we're not there. And I think the best thing you can do is plan. Develop that plan of action, come back to it and say, look, this is what I can't control. And this is what I can't control, right? You can't control what happens in global oil prices. And you, as an individual consumer, it's difficult for you to control what happens with the exchange rate. You can't really control inflation. You can't really control where the interest rate's going to land. But what you can control is how you react to it, how you behave to these changes. And more importantly, how you structure your finances to make sure that you're able to be resilient and withstand these shocks. The stock market is going through a massive shock right now, Tim. There's a lot of people who are getting paid serious cash to protect other people's money and they're losing money, right? So you're in, we're in a, in a position where inflation is running hard, interest rates are high, stocks are down, and you've got to ask yourself, where do I put my cash, right? Where do I put my money? Because you can't put it on the mattress because inflation is going to burn through it. You can't put it in the stock market because you're going to tank 20, 25%. Where do you put your cash? How do you protect against inflation? 
Do you need to look at gold? Do you need to look at inflation-linked bonds? Do you need to look at um, reinvesting it into a company that you have that's doing really well? Should you put it back into your pension fund? I mean, you've got to actively manage your money. And if there's only one sentence to take away from today, actively manage your money. That's it. That's it. Sure. That's no, my closing shot. No, that's and, and, th- and thanks very much for reminding us once again. You know, we work hard for the money, all of us, but for some reason, we don't think it's our responsibility to look after it. <laughs> Making it, of course, we take responsibility for that, but protecting hey, so it. Spending, you know what? It's easier to spend money than it is to make money, man. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, Justin, what's your, what's your comment? What is your parting shot? Yeah, Tim, I think I'd, if I want to leave the audience with anything uh, specifically around, you know, the, the businesses uh, is that you don't have to start with reducing costs at staff. Yeah, there's an opportunity to look at operating costs like your your fuel and, and, and fleet management costs. Uh, I think it's important. Those are the things you can take control of. Um, and, and it's within your ambit and, and, and capability to do so. Um, I suppose the, the first one would be make sure you get visibility of the costs within your fleet. And then, you know, if, if you're not happy with your existing supply, shop around. You know, if you've even got an inkling of doubt that, that you're not getting the best deal here, shop around, make sure that, uh, you know, you, you, there's an opportunity to, to, to save costs. Um, that, that would be my parting shot. No, thanks very much, uh, Justin. Paul uh, Kopani has also sent in a message saying, I don't see the petrol prices going down. We get used to them, move on with life, and we accept that petrol prices will always go up. For instance, once at some point it was seven runs per liter. The next couple of years will have uh, adjusted to the fact that the petrol price is 24 runs and this will be increasing to 30 runs and will just continue to live like that. And that is uh, Paul Kopani's views on the matter. Koshikaran, CEO of Banker X, thank you very much. Justin Thomas thank you. of Standard Bank Fleet Management, thank you very much. And to everybody else who participated in this space's conversation, the increasing petrol price, uh, we appreciate your participation. And uh, to the organizers who've been providing support, making sure that we pull it off, I also say thank you to you. And that's it. Well, I hope you learned something from this. I definitely learned a lot from this Twitter spaces. I'm Tim Modise, and goodbye to you.